Good evening, everyone. It's good to see you all. First and second graders, it's been great to have you worship with us. You are now dismissed to be able to go with your teachers downstairs. Hope you all have a great night. It's really neat to be able to worship with your children. Uh, our son, seven years old, was not singing because he can't like read and keep up with the things, and he's short, can't see over people's heads and whatnot, can't see the screen. But he has one of those keychains that we've been giving out the last several weeks that have memory verses on them. And so he tapped on my shoulder, and I leaned over, and he's like, Dad, I know the memory verse. I was like, I guess that's fair in worship, being able to, like, memorize Scripture. And it was the Scripture that said, um, 2 Corinthians 5, that talks about letting the Word of Christ richly dwell within you by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I was like, he is, like, memorizing Scripture and how important it is to, like, be singing together. So it's awesome to be able to have those moments together. We are continuing in our Momentum series. This is uh, actually the final sermon in a four-week series that is launching Momentum. Next week, we're going to start the second part of Momentum. Uh, this will be a second part of the Momentum series that's designated to what we're calling the story of God. We'd like to go through um, kind of a bird's-eye view of the whole Bible to know what is the story, the consistent story that God is telling from Genesis all the way through to the end of the Bible, and for us to be able to know how to, to read that story for ourselves, but also to be able to share the gospel, share that story with other people, and then also how to understand our own life within this story of what God is doing. So that will start next week. But this week, we're wrapping up uh, a four-week sermon series. The first sermon was who we are, who is our identity as a church. Ultimately, that identity is in who Christ has made us and what He's done for us. We also talked in the second sermon about where we are going as a church, some core values and vision that we have for the church. Last week, we talked about what it will cost to get there, and that the cost to get where God calls us and where Christ follows us is high, not just financially, but in terms of our time, in terms of sweat, opening our lives first to God and then opening our lives to others. It costs a lot to get there. And then this week, we are going to celebrate the journey. This is a sermon about celebrating the journey and where we are going as a church. As we celebrate the journey, there are different ways you can think about celebrating. So sometimes when people think about celebrating, they think about something like uh, a pep rally. One way to celebrate is to get really excited, to get hyped up and hopped up, hopefully uh, to enable us to be able to tackle some kind of a task. It's the same way with a political rally. The idea is to get people excited enough, motivated enough to be able to tackle a campaign or tackle a, a difficult political season. Uh, who remembers pep rallies from high school? Do they still do pep rallies? I'm like 20 years out of high school. Who enjoyed pep rallies? Who thought I'd rather do anything else but go to the pep rally? <laughs> Part of the reason that we maybe don't like pep rallies at times is because it's like, oh, we got to get the emotion going again. We have to get this all going again. And we get kind of exhausted from that. Uh, there's this uh, sitcom called The Middle. I talk about this one a lot. There's a mom. She works as a, uh, a used car salesman at this used car lot. And she's also doing all this work at home with her kids, and she's exhausted all the time and is just struggling to have motivation. The boss at the used car lot brings in this motivational consultant to help kind of people get really excited. And the consultant gets 
Frankie, this mom, really excited about her job. She says, Frankie, you've just got to change your attitude. Instead of saying, I have to get up early in the morning, I have to pack everybody's lunch, I've got to get them breakfast, I've got to get them all out the door, then I have to go to the used car lot, the economy stinks and nobody's buying cars. Instead of saying that, you have to change your attitude. It's all about your motivation. You get to say, I get to wake up early in the morning, I get to make everybody's breakfast, I get to get their lunch together, I get them out to school, and then I drive to the used car lot, and even though the economy stinks, I'm going to sell 10 cars today. Pow! I'm a mom. I can do anything. And so Frankie's all excited. She's like, I am a mom. I can do anything. And then she goes home to tell her husband about it. And she says, I just have to change my attitude. I have to say, I, I get to get up early in the morning when nobody else is up and work really hard to put together lunches and breakfast, and then I have to get people out of the door. And you know, the economy really stinks, and I don't know that I could sell 10 cars, but I could probably sell five cars a day. She's like, you know, this just sounds a lot, a lot of work. It sounded more excited when she said it. There was a pow in there somewhere, and she was really good at it. Maybe I should just try to get to work on time. <laughs> have you ever felt like that? Like you get motivated for something, and very, very quickly the motivation just stalls out. It goes from these high, high goals to maybe I can get out of bed in the morning. The problem is when we have to trust our own strength, we celebrate to get up this energy, this hype to be able to tackle some kind of a task. Oftentimes that kind of celebration peters out. There's another kind of celebrating that we can do. Uh, we can celebrate or boast in our accomplishments. Once you've accomplished something, it's very common to be able to want to celebrate it in a number of ways. You can raise a glass, you can go out to eat with friends or with family. Every sport has its own way of celebrating once you've scored, right? Like football, there's one way of like celebrating, which seems to change every six to seven years. And then basketball, there are different ways to celebrate. Like hockey players have their own way of celebrating, but they're celebrating an accomplishment. And it's celebrating something that we have done. But tonight we want to look at 2 Corinthians 5, to see what Paul has to say about celebrating and what kind of celebrating Paul would have us to uh, engage in. So I'm going to celebrate because the clicker works tonight. That is something to celebrate in this building. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 15, Paul says this. This is the verse we just had read. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but, we are, but what we are known is known to God and I hope is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. So Paul seems to be telling us that we should boast, that maybe celebration is tied to boasting. Paul brings up this idea of boasting. And you might ask, why is Paul saying this? Because in other places we're told as Christians we're supposed to be humble and we shouldn't boast. Is this like Michael Scott from The Office? Michael Scott says, uh, do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked. But it's not like this compulsive need to be liked, like my need to be praised. This is not what Paul is talking about. Paul does not have a giant and fragile ego. If you've ever been around somebody who has a giant ego that's also fragile, that is a really hard relationship to navigate. But this is not what Paul is talking about. Paul is not talking about trying to boost his ego, boost his pride, boost his sense of self. Paul is actually talking about something specific. He says, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those 
who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Paul is telling us in, uh, in Corinth, there were already people who were boasting. There were already those who were boasting, and they were boasting about their outward appearance. So Paul does not bring up boasting of his own accord out of the blue. Paul is saying, look, if somebody's going to come in and they're going to boast, okay, let's bring up the topic and let's talk it through. And what are these people who, who are boasting? What are they boasting in? They're boasting in outward appearance. What Paul is talking about are these apostles who came into Corinth. Paul calls them the super apostles. And outwardly, according to outward appearance, they looked very impressive. They were very eloquent speakers. They were so good at speaking and could ply their craft and trade so well as eloquent traveling speakers that people would often give them money. And because of this, these super apostles were wealthy and they did not dirty their hands with like manual labor. By contrast, Paul did not look like an impressive figure. According to outward appearance, according to worldly standards, Paul did not look impressive like these guys. They were wealthy. Paul was poor. They seemed impressive and to have it all together. Paul was often imprisoned and persecuted. Their eloquent speakers and could speak very finely, persuasively. But Paul says, I'm not eloquent. In fact, Paul says, I purposefully dial back any eloquence I might use. They're wealthy and don't have to dirty their hands with manual labor. Paul says, I've, I've worked with my own hands to provide for my needs and those who are with me. Paul does get his hands dirty with manual labor. And so when you look at these two, uh, clearly, from an outward appearance or from a worldly standard, the super apostles seem far more impress impressive. And because of this, the Corinthians had started to trust what they had to say. The Corinthians were trusting style over substance. And the major problem here is not that Paul's saying, look, it's unfortunate that you all, like if they had Facebook back in the day, it's not like Paul is saying, you all aren't giving me enough likes on my posts. That's not Paul's issue here. Paul's not saying, you're not affirming me. What Paul is saying is, if you're starting to trust what they're saying, this is a problem, because they seem like they're preaching another gospel to you. They are not preaching the same gospel about Jesus Christ that I gave to you. Later in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, you put up easily enough with these other people who don't preach the gospel of Christ. If anyone preaches another gospel, you put up with them. But the reason they put up with him is because the Corinthians seemed to trust the worldly impressiveness of these super apostles, these wealthy guys, these eloquent guys, these guys that didn't have to soil their hands with manual labor. Paul says, I want you to trust my authenticity as an apostle, not so I feel affirmed, but so that you'll believe the message about Jesus Christ and not be led astray. So Paul's boasting, the nature of Paul's boasting, it's not about his pride, it's not about his ego. The nature of Paul's boasting, first of all, has nothing to do with his outward appearance as, as to whether he's um, impressive from a worldly standpoint. Paul certainly is not boasting about whether he's impressive in terms of his outward appearance. Where Paul wants to go is if he's in fact gonna be forced to boast, if people are gonna push him, he says, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. This is all the way in 2 Corinthians 12, so seven chapters later, later, Paul says, but he, meaning God, said to me, my grace 
is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul is talking about here this uh, thorn that he was dealing with. It's a metaphor. We don't know what this thorn was. He's dealing with some kind of an issue. And he was asking, Lord, please take this issue from me. Don't let me deal with issue. And the answer he was given is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why is Paul boasting in these weaknesses? It's because in the midst of human weakness, it's precisely in the midst of human weakness, that the surpassing power of Christ is made known. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, this is verse 7, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay, earthen vessels, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul's job is not to look impressive so that the Corinthians will trust him. This is the way Tim Mackey puts it. Paul's job isn't to be impressive. Rather, it's to point people to Jesus, the one who is impressive. To put it another way, if what we need is rescue and redemption from the ways that sin has fundamentally broken this world and disrupted our lives, if it's up to us then to trust ourselves to deal with those fundamental broken pieces of existence, there's nothing that we can throw at that kind of brokenness to fix it. We need a divine work to remedy the major fundamental fissures and cracks in universal existence and in our own lives. And throughout the Bible, not just here in Corinthians, throughout the Bible, God shows consistently how it's his work and his alone and not human power that accomplishes divine work. When it comes to Jacob and Esau, the two brothers who are born, and the question is, which one of these will be the chosen son through whom God's covenant and blessing will, will flow through? It's not the oldest firstborn that ends up being the one through whom the, the covenant flows. It's Jacob, not Esau. God chooses the lesser son, the secondborn. God rescues Israel from the clutches of Pharaoh and all of Pharaoh's armies and all of Pharaoh's taskmasters, all that huge, huge political infrastructure. God rescues Israel with one dude equipped with a staff and a stutter. God tells Gideon, yes, you're going to need to fight a battle, but your army's too big. <laughs> you need to pare your army down. Why? Because victory comes at the hand of the Lord, not through human power and human craft. God uses Jesse's youngest and smallest son, David, to defeat Goliath, not the older sons and the larger sons. And David brings nothing with him but five small stones and no armor. God chooses this David, not the older brothers, to be the king of Israel. God uses John the Baptist as the forerunner to the Messiah, this weird guy who lives in the wilderness, who regularly confronts people with their sin. He's not out to tickle ears and win easy converts. He's confronting people with their sin while wearing camel's hair and eating locusts. Does that sound like a winning way to like lead people to the Lord? But God uses this outsider and 
he uses him in a way that seems to defy our notions of what effective human leadership should look like. God chooses to bring the Messiah from a woman who seems relatively obscure and is betrothed to a simple carpenter. And God chooses to save the world and redeem creation itself by becoming flesh and dying humbly on the cross for the sins of the world. There is no human power. There's no human capacity that can cope with the fundamental and cataclysmic brokenness that sin has introduced into this world. So God has to deal with this. We need divine and supernatural power of Christ in us for our own salvation, and we need the divine supernatural power of Christ working through us to accomplish God's kingdom purposes in his church. It must be the power of Christ saving us and working through us, not our own power. In fact, in the the history of the church, in those moments when the church has often done its worst, when we have these terrible examples in church history, when the church has been unfaithful and done things that have actually spurred a lot of people to question Christianity, it's often happened when the church has latched on to human power and thought that these human mechanisms of power and human sources of power were going to advance the kingdom of God, and then with this power, they do some pretty horrific, sometimes violent things. When we are kind of lulled into the sense of trusting human powers to accomplish kingdom purposes, it's often in those moments when the church does its worst work. Think of the Crusades church plus the sword. Think of the wars of religion in Europe. The church has to advance by political backing of political nations, and we have to fight to get that political backing to be the religion of France or the religion of Germany. We buy into these notions of earthly power and human power that we think will advance the kingdom of Christ, but it actually puts a black mark on the church's history. But outside the church, not just in the church, when we tend to trust human power, it doesn't go poorly just for us, outside of the church, within secular culture, throwing off the yoke of religion did not fare a lot better. We've seen secular regimes in the 19th and 20th century who've tried to throw off the yoke of religion as superstitious mumbo-jumbo and to embrace higher levels of thinking, but have done horrific things, sometimes in the name of pseudoscience, sometimes in the name of these race theories that are developed on post-enlightenment kind of philosophical ideas, that certain humans are more valuable than others, and that we can subjugate or get rid of people who are less valuable. When we trust our own wisdom, when we trust our own power, whether inside the church or outside the church, it is often led to very, very dire consequences. We need a divine work in the church and then through the church in the world to experience God's renewal, God's redemption. So what do we have to celebrate tonight? What can we boast in? First of all, we can celebrate the all-sufficient work of Christ to save and to redeem us. Every day, every single day is a day that we can celebrate God's grace for us, God's mercy for us, the fact that Jesus did on the cross what we could never do for ourselves, the fact that Jesus lived a completely holy and righteous life when we could not... And he died on the cross to take away our sins, but then to be able to give us his righteousness. Every day is a day to be able to celebrate his grace for our sin and his victory on our behalf. Amen? But we also want to celebrate the all-sufficient power of Christ that's manifested in our weakness 
and in humble service. This is not just the power of Christ to save us. Nothing can save us but the power of Christ and that expressed on the cross. But we also need the power of Christ working through us for his kingdom purposes to advance in the world. But that happens amidst weakness. Not by tying the church, tying ourselves to human notions of power, but it happens as he works in and through us even when we feel like we are not equipped for the task. One of my favorite Bible professors at my undergrad school is Wave Nunley. He said this, God has chosen us because of and in spite of our weaknesses and inabilities so that when his glory shines through us, there will be no question whose it is. It'll be his. We can boast in our weakness because our weakness reveals the strength and power of Christ. Think of someone like Martin Luther, a figure in the 1500s that God used to do a major work in the church at the time. What was Martin Luther equipped with? During a, a good amount of his life, what little privilege and position he had within the Catholic church was stripped away, and he ends up being a monk in hiding, and all he has are copies of the, the, the Bible around him that he's trying to translate and a pen that he can write with. This guy has very little power and yet God uses him to preach and proclaim the gospel and write about the gospel. And through that, God brings a major renewal in Germany and then throughout Europe. This monk who's in hiding, God uses him with little earthly power to accomplish major, major goals in the world. It's the power of Christ working in him. And Luther would later say in his own life, I did nothing. I, the word of Christ did it all. He said, I sat around and drank beer with my friends and then wrote, just preached the word, and the word did its own work. There's power in the word about Christ and power in the gospel. But a lot of that weakness is not just the fact that we don't have certain positions of worldly authority to lean upon or that we don't seem super skilled from an earthly standpoint. God works through our weaknesses there. It's that God calls us to serve one another. And God calls us to serve people in the community, and service doesn't always look like power and authority. Service looks like putting yourself in a position of humility, of putting your needs on hold and actually submitting yourself to the needs of somebody else. But Paul, all throughout 2 Corinthians, is able to say, not only did I not have human notions of power, I was not wealthy, I was not eloquent, he also said, I served you, Corinthians. I worked with my own hands for the privilege of preaching the gospel to you. That's the evidence of my service to you. And he's following Christ's example of humbly serving people. It's in that kind of weakness, that humble service where we're not leaning upon human power, but also humbly putting ourselves in a position to serve that God uses us and his kingdom can advance just in the ordinary moments of life. So today we want to celebrate there are a lot of things that we want to celebrate. Our tone today of celebrating the journey that we've experienced so far is not to celebrate the awesomeness of our pastors or our staff or our volunteers. We're not here to celebrate the awesomeness of our programs or our amazing initiatives, our strategery, which is phenomenal, or our fancy organizational planning. That's not at all what we're here to do. Rather, we're here to celebrate the work and the power of Christ and it's a work that he's doing among this body. So some of you might not know the history of grace. This downtown church is only about six years old, five, six years old. 
uh, before that, we were part of Grace Community Church in North Liberty. Some of you may have never even been to a service there. That church started back in the 1960s, and it started with a few folks just coming around each other and reading a Bible, reading their Bibles together in a home. God used that humble starting point to spawn a church back in the 1960s. And throughout the next several decades, that church continued to grow. Uh, how many of you have been to the building in North Liberty? Uh, sometimes we affectionately refer to that as a pole barn. Uh, when that building was put up in the 90s, uh, people really put a lot of uh, sweat equity into it. They labored over it. It was a labor of love, and they worked really hard. Uh, and the building worked very well for them, but that was in the 90s, and the church has really grown, and the building has started to deteriorate a little bit. Uh, there are times when we would sit in service before the downtown church started. You'd go to church, and sometimes the sermon would be over 60 minutes long, and the air conditioning was not working in the summer. So you're sweating for Jesus with each other in the middle of a 60-minute-plus sermon. And then if it would rain, sometimes it would come into the sanctuary. How many of you remember rain coming into the sanctuary when you're sitting in the sermon? And I was, I was part of the music ministry at the time. I would help with music, and we were not that great <laughs> at music. People did not come to church because, like, oh, the music's so great. They're like, I'll come to church and deal with the music <laughs> in order to get to the 60-minute sermon with the sweltering heat and the water that comes in. And in those humble circumstances, God is causing the church to grow as people are hearing the gospel. It's not amazing programming. It's not an amazing facility. But people are hearing the gospel preached and they're growing in Christ and placing their faith in Christ. And we are so grateful for what God has done in those humble circumstances. He's taken very humble offerings and he's caused those to grow. And we want to celebrate church planting that we've seen here at Grace Community Church over the last several years. In the past six years, there have been four churches that have been planted from Grace Community and North Liberty. We were the first one, Grace Community Church downtown, and we are one of a, a campus of the North Liberty Church. So we are one church in two locations. But there are three additional locations that have been planted over the last six years as well. Uh, one of them is in Solon. There's one in River City that was, or Riverside that was just planted last year and one in Belle Plaine. What we really want to celebrate with these churches, again, this is not like the elders sat down and came up with this really amazing kind of plan like where we put a map up on the wall and we started counting populations and where's the most strategic place to plant a church and, uh, you know, how can we do this a really amazing kind of planning? All that we did was... Uh, preach the gospel, try to equip people to be disciples and be a community to grow as disciples and uh, love each other and then share the gospel with people in their neighborhoods and love and serve people. And we have people in Belle Plaine that are doing that. And they're like, why should we keep driving to North Liberty? Why don't we just love each other here, preach the gospel here, and reach out to our community here? And if we want to invite a, church, a friend to church, why invite him all the way to North Liberty? We could just invite him to a church in our neighborhood. And so we've got faithful people who are loving and serving the Lord, and who are in community with each other, loving and serving each other, and they just spawn a church, and all we do is we give it blessing. Like, nothing crazy. It's not up to us and our crazy leadership. The same thing happened in Solon. Much the same thing happened in Riverside. So we want to thank God for how he is showing his power. The power of Christ is demonstrated as faithful believers are stepping out to want to plant churches where they live. We also want to celebrate baptisms. Here downtown, we've had a number of baptisms. It's been awesome to see people take these steps of obedience with Christ as they place their faith in Jesus and then to take one of the major first steps of obedience, which is to get baptized. But what I love about so many of the stories at baptism is that when people share their story, 
they're often not talking about, oh, the elders at Grace do these really cool things, or the programming, or this or that, these initiatives at church. What they usually say is, a friend of mine invited me to a Bible study. A friend of mine was reading through the Bible with me. A friend of mine was talking with me one time. Do you see a, a theme here? I'm so grateful for how God is using you all to reach other people, to care for them, to love them, and then to share the gospel with them. I want to praise God for the work that he is doing, not just in you, but through you. I want to celebrate the ways that you all love each other. John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And as you all love each other and care for one another, your service, your humble service to one another, your love and your commitment to one another is a testimony to the world about the power of Christ working in you. What looks like humble service, taking time out of your day to take a meal to somebody who's in need at church, taking time out of your day to sit with somebody at church who's maybe going through a really difficult time, to open your home to them, when you take time to humbly serve in that way, it's one more brick in a wall that is building praise to Christ for how we serve one another. It brings glory to Christ when we love one another, and it causes people to ask, what makes you all do that? It's an opportunity to say it's the power of Christ working in us. It's the power of the gospel working in us. I love seeing how this really impacts people in a host of ways. Um, Alex Bates is someone who was here at the church for a couple of years as he was working on a PhD in mathematics. And Alex said, I came from a really great campus ministry uh, before I came to Iowa City. And he had a lot of really great things to say about this campus ministry. It was a good one. He said, there was one thing that seemed to be missing, though. It was populated by people who are all my age. And when I came to Grace, it was so good to have a couple of guys who are older than me who took time to sit down and talk with me about, this is what it looks like to be a disciple as you continue to get older, or to share a few things that they learned along the path of being a disciple and to share some wisdom with them. I'm so grateful for how you all love one another, grateful for older folks in this congregation who are willing to help younger folks, grateful for younger folks who are willing to shoulder, even in college, shoulder service at this church to bless one another at this church, to be in community group with people who are either in your age frame or outside your age frame, but as you love one another and serve one another, it's testimony to the power of Christ and to the gospel. So grateful to see that, and we want to celebrate that also want to celebrate the power of Christ that is knitting us together from our different backgrounds. Romans 1.16 says, Paul says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul is saying the gospel is salvation. It's God's power for everyone, whether Jew or Greek, Jew or non-Jew, Jew or Gentile. And that brought people of different backgrounds together and I'm so grateful that this church continues to be a place where people can come together from different backgrounds. This family is knit as we all come from different backgrounds. And I praise God for what he's already done. But I want to ask God that he would continue this work. I don't think that the work is done. I think there's more for us to learn and to grow in as a body. It's not just that God would want this body to be more diverse. It is that. But I think he wants us to learn how to experience unity with each other across diversity. What's it look like to have even deeper unity with one another? 
What does it look like for us to hear one another, to listen to one another, to truly understand one another, and to be able to have a bond and love of understanding one another? And what would it look like if this church, if people from different backgrounds and uh, different cultures are able to bring their strengths into leadership here at church and to express that here at this church across so many different levels of leadership and so that this church starts to bear the strengths of all kinds of different folks and the, the leadership does not look so homogenous. I want to celebrate what God is doing and want to ask him, God, please fan that into flame by the power of Christ. There's so many other things we could celebrate tonight. We could talk about missions, that in six years God has raised up several folks from the downtown congregation to go overseas. We could talk about how folks are involved in short-term missions, like Jeff Thompson will take two trips every year and lead teams to Haiti. Those trips are, one trip is actually coming up very shortly. Uh, we could talk about a host of different ways that people are involved in short-term missions. We could talk about how people grow in Christ while they're here. They bless this church as they minister to folks here, but they're also growing. And then as, as they leave, they're prepared to go out and to, to minister wherever they go. We want to praise God for all the things that he is doing at this church. But one final thing I'd like to invite us to celebrate tonight is that God seems to be positioning us to be able to remain downtown here in Iowa City. And it seems like that's something to celebrate. Many of you know that we're uncertain about whether we'll be able to worship in this building uh, by about the summer of 2021. We don't know exactly whether we'll be able to stay in here or not. It seems like that's a possibility that might be opening up, but we just don't know. And so we are working very dil diligently and praying about other options for where we can meet as a church. It looks pretty clear that there are probably some options that are available to us that will allow us to stay downtown. And that's awesome. But what we want to thank God for is that staying downtown will put us in a position to be able to serve, to put us in a position to be able to serve folks downtown. I've talked with some folks who want to start ministries here in downtown Iowa City, and the way they talk about it is we would like to carve out a space that we own and that we can kind of control and that we can kind of be a beachhead for controlling what kind of things happen in our space. And I understand some of the goals that people might have, like saying, let's have people come in and maybe we could read literature together. And we can show that Christians know how to read literature and we're literary, uh, we're savvy in a literary way. That's sad that I can't say we're literarily savvy. <laughs> that shows that I'm not literarily savvy. It's a self-defeating phrase, much like much of my life. So at any rate, moving on to happier things. <laughs> So if we try to control this space to prove to people that Christians are good at art or that we're good at literature, it seems like we're trying to say we want to control a space where we can show the world that we are good enough at these things instead of being able to say, you know what? People are already gathering here in Iowa City in droves of places to talk about literature. Why don't we just go talk with them? Just go be with people. Serve them. We don't have to show them how cool or good we are. There's opportunities to serve people all throughout the city. Let's just be downtown and serve the city. Let's just love people who are already around us and not have to feel like we have to control space and have certain kinds of power structures ourselves. Just be the church. And we're so grateful that God seems to be providing some places where we might be able to rent facilities and we can just be the church downtown and serve people where we find ourselves. But this is all stuff that God is working and God is doing. We want to celebrate the power of Christ. Tonight we want to close by celebrating the work of Christ in us as a body and through us as a body.
whether celebrating salvation, we want to praise God for that and know that this is Christ's work, or celebrating what God is doing through us. We give him our faithful service. It's not perfect service. None of us are serving him perfectly, myself included. We give him our faithful service, and God and the power of Christ turns it into something powerful. We want to celebrate what he has been doing with our meager efforts and praise him tonight. Lord, we just want to thank you tonight for your grace. We want to thank you for the work of Christ on the cross, that at the cross you are overturning and undoing everything that the fall and our sin has brought into the world, that by grace you're saving us, by grace you're giving us eternal life, but by grace you're also giving us your spirit. By grace you're raising us to new life and equipping us to walk in new life. You're equipping us to be the church and to be instruments of your new creation coming into the world. And so Lord, we just wanna thank you that it's all by the power of Christ and we humbly thank you for coming to this earth and dying on a cross and rescuing and redeeming us out of your rich love and your rich grace. We remember your work on the cross We remember your suffering and give you praise tonight.